Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Hello, Global Investor listeners. Before we start today's show, I want to let you know about Belgrad Homes in Tyler, Texas. They're offering newly constructed 130 square meter, 1400 square foot homes for $145,000. They are offering financing to U.S. and foreign investors for 30 years at 6% interest with a 30% down payment. If you're interested, please contact belgradhomes.com, spelled B-E-O-G-R-A-D homes.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today we have Jacob Blackett. Jacob began his real estate career in 2010 as a sophomore in college and lost $70,000 in his first two flips. He later moved from California to the Midwest and went on to perfect his fix and flip business and began to purchase income producing real estate. He founded Holdfolio, a real estate investing platform, and completed 18 syndications across over 1,100 units. So, Thank you so much for being on the show, Jacob. Yeah, thanks a lot, Charles. Hearing, hearing that uh, come from your mouth, the, my first experience with fix and flip real estate is just, uh, it was a tough one to overcome, but uh, luckily stuck with it and have no regrets. So. so how did you explain how you got involved in real estate investing? So I was, it was back in college. So this was 2009. I was a freshman. Uh, in college studying finance and entrepreneurship. And I saw an infomercial late one night about fix and flips, um, making millions, flipping homes. And uh, it was was a fix and flip guru doing education. And they were offering a free seminar. And I called in and registered for the free uh, seminars. I think it was like the next night. Uh, And so... In the meantime, I had taken a look at my course offerings and realized there was no real estate, anything in, in the course offerings. And so, so that intrigued me to learn more. I I didn't know anyone who made money in real estate. Uh, Not, not even growing up, no one in my family did. I didn't even have uh, uh, an agent that I knew. And so it was just completely new territory for me. And so I went to that seminar uh, of course, for the most part, it was just enough to get you interested and intrigued and then sell you the weekend, uh, the weekend. And then, so I put that on a credit card. I think it was nine ninety five, and uh, started learning about fix and flips and, and jumped right in. And, and so, like you mentioned, my first two deals, basically what happened is I was put in this environment of a seminar and, and learning a lot, a lot of good things, definitely. But at the end of the day, uh, I had kind of some false confidence uh, in terms of just because you do a construction budget and you say you're going to spend 30 grand and just because the realtor says, hey, if, if you do that renovation, it'll be worth 250 grand uh, from, the, from the outside, just because you put the spreadsheet together and, and do 70% ARV and and figure out how much money you're going to make doesn't mean it'll happen. So there's still a lot of risk in that. So I learned that firsthand construction 
crew issues, budget overruns. Um, I was paying hard money interests. And then when it was, came time to list the properties for sale, they weren't selling for what the realtor had promised up front. And so it's just all these different factors working against me. Uh, and so, yeah, I think uh, I kind of buttoned down the hat, buckled, buckled down the hatches, learned some more. Um, I, that money I lost was my grandma's uh, 70 grand. And so I, when I graduated, I, I wanted to figure out a way to pay her back, uh, soon. And so I could go get, basically get my CPA and, and go chase up a financial kind of institution ladder, make good money and eventually pay that back. Or I knew that people were making money in real estate, uh, and I knew it could be profitable over the short term. And so I, I doubled down and I was able to pay her back within 12 months after graduating. Wow. Awesome. So what was the deciding factor to transition you into income producing property from the, the fix and flip that you were doing? That's a good question. It, it came down to a transactional business, right? So I had uh, got my fix and flip operation and wholesaling properties up to a place where I was doing five to 15 deals a month. And, uh, and what I realized is that I was making a lot of good money number one, which was my initial onset goal. Uh, but it was also very transactional. It was always what's next. So after, after every purchase and after every sale, it was always a question of what's next. And so uh, I kind of was looking at and started holding some properties in my own personal portfolio and realized the beauty of putting that upfront work in and then getting that recurring monthly income stream from the rental. And so that's where I just envisioned a big portfolio that would be, that would be paying out six figures or more of, of recurring net income. And, and I thought what could possibly be better? <laughs> yeah, no, that's for sure. There's a, I mean, there's ways of scaling those transactional businesses, but it's so much easier to scale a rental portfolio. Um, just because obviously the main thing is that there's passive income there. It's much easier to scale. I feel a passive income generating business versus a transactional business. And you're not waking up every Monday and figuring out what, what <laughs> what's going on this week and how am I making money? So, yeah. Yeah. And you, you know, the ad additional risk of making 30 grand on that flip, every flip you do, it's not, you don't have those profit margins in the bag. Some come out, some come out thin, some come out healthy, but you rent a property for a thousand dollars. You sign a lease, 12 month lease next month, a thousand dollars is coming in, you know, and, and so there's more certainty. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, it's a much more predictable, um, cash flow stream versus, uh, fix and flip where you have no idea. I mean, if people are holding flips before this reaching recent crisis COVID, which we'll talk about more later, but, um, I mean, who knows where they are now at that property. I guarantee you they're not getting what their ARV after repair value was that the realtor told them beforehand. <laughs> but um, tell us about Wholefolio. So how do you work with investors uh, through that platform that you started? So what happened is I started holding rental properties myself, building up my own, building up my own portfolio. 
realized that there were a lot of people looking to purchase rental properties and uh, realized that if I had, if I just created partnerships with these people looking to invest in and purchase rental properties, then together we could build economies of scale. We could have bigger holdings. And so Holdfolio set out to create partnerships to profit from income producing real estate. So it was focused on buying holds we initially focused on single family homes. And so we, I would go out and purchase 10 single family homes and then basically sell 70% ownership in them to recoup my capital. And then, so I would keep 30% ownership. Investors would have 70% ownership. I would do everything from a management perspective and send quarterly dividends. And, um, and that was the business model. And so that eventually, once I got about 150 single family holds, uh, I realized that it it was it was a bit crazy running around town to all these different single family homes. It was profitable. We still own some single family homes that were that we've been transitioning, getting rid of. Uh, but once I started, once I got my ear turned towards multifamily and started learning about multifamily, kind of bigger apartment complexes, really realized that for our mission in terms of investing in income producing real estate multifamily was going to be a good, good option for us. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's uh, that's quite the business uh, to, to manage where it's great that you have that kind of syndicator setup where you have the 70, 30, which I kind of see how you transition that to multifamily, but it must be a lot, must've been a lot easier when you're switching to larger multifamily versus coming back from driving around your whole area there, managing every <laughs> property, a hundred different properties, hundred different roofs, hundred different insurance policies, all that stuff. Yeah. I, I describe it as a breath of fresh air when we purchased our first large apartment complex. So what is your main role at Holdfolio? Are you are sourcing deals? Are you underwriting? Are you doing are you doing everything or Yeah, so really I'm at the end of the day I'm responsible for making sure we have profitable business model going forward. Uh, I do a lot of asset management. I have a partner uh, Vanessa who oversees all of the operations. So she focuses more on the property management uh, aspect of it. And so I'm, I'm really looking for new opportunities uh, in the form of acquisitions, making sure our current holdings are performing from an asset management perspective and, and keeping relationships, relationships with our investors. And what is your criteria for purchasing properties? I know you guys are over, I think, six states now. Is that correct? Yeah, we're in Indiana, Ohio, Kentucky, Texas, Florida, and South Carolina. Yeah, so six. Uh, and so we started in Indianapolis, and we just kind of moved out from there within a three-hour drive. And then we've also got into some different markets. Uh, really, our focus is the Midwest and Southeast. And so when it comes to criteria for properties, we're looking those in those areas. Uh, it includes the Texas market. We, we like properties with at least 80 units to really ensure uh, the, the scale at that property level to afford on-site management and uh, maintenance team. And then we like value-add components, uh, central AC. So we had, we had owned some properties in the past that didn't have central AC, and we found that it was a bit of a limiting factor for us as we kind of push the value in terms of the tenant class that we could attract. 
um, we, we like blue collar or better. So we have a pretty wide range in terms of uh, some, some kind of C-class blue collar assets, older vintage uh, to all the way to A-class newer build uh, in our portfolio. Um, low crime, right? Big, big, uh, big determiner uh, on the criteria. And then from a macroeconomic standpoint, every, every uh, market that we're in, every city, uh, metro that we invest in, we look for some key drivers. So job growth, population growth, an unemployment rate that is at or below national uh, rate, and then a diverse economy. Yeah. So you know, what, what's, what's behind that economy is something going to happen that is going to impact a huge part of our tenant base. So mm-hmm. having those diversity uh, component to it. Yeah, the uh, the fifteen or twenty percent uh, max in one business or in one industry, something like that, is kind of that perfect that perfect limit, so that you kind of spread out your tenant base over different, especially what's happening right now. So, mm-hmm. but um, so, how does your deal flow come? Is it is it mainly all through brokers? Are you guys doing any direct? Uh, I mean, obviously you came from wholesaling, so you did a lot of direct to owner stuff, but currently right now, are you guys doing a, a lot of brokers relationships? Yeah. So what we did is actually transition for the most part, our single family home acquisition model to multifamily. And so I think historically, uh, multifamily acquisitions are very broker driven. Um, and I think more recently newer, you're getting more deals or, or uh, the ability to create deals with the owner directly. And so we, uh, we, we do everything from, from mailers. Uh, we do a lot of cold calling. So we'll, we'll get the owner details uh, and, and just do cold calls and procure relationships. I, one, one of our seven apartment complexes that we own came from, uh, broker relationship. So six of those seven were direct to owner and, and, um, that's, that's a lot of work and, uh, and it takes time from the first time we contact an owner. It may be, it may be, uh, one of our most recent deals. It was over two years before we actually purchased that property. But, uh, when we first contacted them, they weren't interested in selling, we asked their permission to follow up every, every, every other month. Just, it could be as simple as you answering the phone saying, Hey, still not interested in me saying, thanks. Have a good day. Uh, but we kept that, kept that in touch. And then eventually they, on one of the calls, they said, you know, what, what would you pay? And so, uh, it worked out. Yeah. I know that game we're doing direct mailing to uh, 13 counties in Florida and you'll call people and you want to buy like, they're 30 unit building like, no, 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 but I'm selling this duplex. And you're like, well, I don't want this duplex. I'll call you. Can I call you back in 60 days? <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's the yeah. same thing where you're just uh, in the CRM, just like putting them in and doing that follow up. But I mean, that's follow-up. where you're getting evolved. That's where you're getting, you know, a lot of people that have, that have just started or that uh, haven't been around for a while, they'll probably stop after just sending out the mail or they might not even pick up their phone. And it's really, mm-hmm the money's in that follow-up. And that's really, I mean, pretty much anything with sales. But I mean, anywhere down the road when you're six months plus and you're in there, you pretty much, even if you're talking to them for 30 seconds, you already have a relationship with them. Even if it's 
two minutes every two months. So it's, yeah. it's interesting how that works. They'll probably call you back first or drop you a text or email saying, you know, if you had something even that's not there, right? Like I have a different property yeah. we didn't talk about. I want to sell that. So mm-hmm. absolutely. What are some of the red flags you see when you're underwriting something that sticks out, something that you don't like or something that you have to dig into deeper? Yeah. So we, we have a due diligence checklist. I think anyone purchasing multifamily assets has a checklist, right? So there's a ton of things, but maybe what comes to mind is when you're getting different answers from the onsite staff uh, versus the management versus the owner. So basically any opportunity that we have as we're underwriting a property, if owner tells us the, the, um, the one bedroom, the, the one bedrooms on site are currently marketed for five ninety five. We're going to, we're going to corroborate that as much as possible. Mm. See what it's actually marketing for. See what, ask the onsite leasing. Um, if, if, uh, you know, and any, anything in terms of, if we, if we ask the owner, is there any, is there any recurring deferred maintenance that you're having to deal with? Like, sewer backups or, or leaks or something. And, and they say, Oh no, you know, everything's fine. So, right. So we're going to ask the property manager, is there, is there any like recurring issues and rec- this question? And then we're going to ask the maintenance person, the same question. We're going to ask the tenants the same question. And so red flags would be if, if things are coming out of, you know, differently um, leases, not matching the rent roll. So doing a, a good lease audit, Mm-hmm. We had one property where it was all over the board in terms of what the rent roll said versus what the leases said. And, and we actually had to, we actually had to hold up the transaction and do a full lease audit. And can you, and can you explain what the lease audit is? Sorry. Yeah. So when, when you're uh, going under contract and you're in your due diligence stage, you should be requesting all copies of all the leases. So we have someone sit down and look at those leases and the terms. Mostly, this this is going to be start date, end date, security deposit, rent, uh, other charges, is the pet addendums or anything else. So we're gonna we're gonna dissect all the leases and what they say, and then we're gonna compare it to the rent roll that the that the uh, owner is giving us. And so it's common for something to be out of place here and there. But when you really start seeing a lot of discrepancies, uh, that's a huge red flag. And so what we did is actually had on that, on that transaction, we had every single tenant re-sign their lease Mm -hmm. and and certify the terms. Um, So I think outside of that, you'll, during due diligence, you'll see some things, a high turnover, uh, is a red flag. It could be due to poor management or, or just poor, poor conditions. Um, but it could also be because of the area or because of something you can't fix, like, uh, like parking, right? So if, if tenants are just getting fed up because they can't find a parking spot, um, that's, that's a serious red flag consideration that, uh, anytime you can't control a factor, is, is, uh, it's pretty serious. So 
Yeah, that's, and that's definitely a recurring theme on older properties, um, especially properties built as being in Florida. I mean, properties we look at considered Florida old, you know, 60s, 70s, when there was, these were second homes or these were single automobile homes, properties, mm-hmm. all units. And now it's, you know, you've got two, you can't fit two cars in it. So it's like they have to figure out all these different ways of trying to manage that plus, vis, you know, residents plus visitors plus and it's one one surefire way of making your tenants mad is not having to <laughs> park easily, you know? So. Yeah, right. So what is your other company, Syndication Pro? And uh, is that focused towards general partners or, you know, on operators? Or is it more focused uh, toward limited partners as well? So Syndication Pro is a technology company. Uh, what what I've always done with Holdafolio starting back in 2013, 2014, is always look for ways to leverage technology to create automations, save time, and create a better experience for my investors and for my team as I raise money and and manage investors. So Syndication Pro came out and and was born from my experience uh, as a sponsor, syndicating many deals, and it gives it gives my colleagues and other sponsors the ability to manage their investor, uh, their investment process online and really their syndication business online. So it's everything from when a leader prospect might register with you interested in, in investing, uh, giving them a clean dashboard and institutional feel to actually placing investments and, um, and then getting distributions updates, everything. Uh, There's a lot of automated emails that go through that mass email capabilities, but basically it's a suite for anyone who raises money to just um, take advantage of what technology we have today uh, in terms of automating, saving time and and delivering a better experience to investors. So, so taking that a step further, I know you guys are managing over a thousand units. What other systems software do you guys have in place to make that streamline? We, we take a pretty hands-on approach. So we actually manage our properties directly, fully vertically integrated. So the backbone of that is gonna be property management, right? Um, in, within that property management company, we have uh, systems in place through close.io from a leasing perspective. So any, any units uh, that we have available all of our prospects are going through close.io. They have uh, some really good systems in terms of follow-ups and calls and really automating that whole experience from a a tenant prospect perspective. So um, that that kind of gets built in. Our leasing agents use close.io to manage those prospects and and uh, I, think, I think that gives us a pretty good competitive advantage from that perspective. Um, we use uh, Zapier for a lot of automations. It's, it's a great in-between uh, and, and really it's, it's amazing for getting things, anything from if you receive a certain email, put these details into a spreadsheet or uh, if you have a, if you have a new prospect and add them to close.io or if, you know, all these different things that just automate systems and daily practices. 
Yeah, there are definitely time time saving methods that really take your whole process and uh, really streamline it. But um, so what? Like with your with your online, what do you guys use for your online rental management? Is that that Close.io or is that a different platform? We we've used property management, or, or sorry, we've used Propertyware for our property okay, management property. software, okay. and so um, we've used them since 2012, and mm-hmm. they've done a good job. Uh, it's pretty pretty robust. It does take a while to learn all the ins and outs, uh, but we've been really happy with it. So, so how are you guys just changing to the question that probably everybody's going through right now at this point, us filming this in April is how's your firm dealing with COVID? And, um, you know, I imagine, I mean, we don't really know the extent of what's going to happen, but so far halfway through April. Yeah. Well, what, what we could possibly do is, um, I have a Google document that our operations manager put together, uh, within this document, it, talks about all of our personnel management changes, um, things like property and amenity changes, resident management, um, combating the potential decrease in collections uh, and drop-in occupancies. And then I also have in this document all of my communications with my investors. Mm -hmm. So from March 17th when things were getting pretty crazy, the initial email out and then, and then kind of general follow-ups in regards to this. So potentially we could put the link to this document. Uh, so it's available for, for your listeners. Um, but right. from a high level, it's making sure that residents and staff are safe. So we very early on got some masks, lots of cleaning, uh, cleaning uh, agents we upped our, we closed down some of the common area amenities where lots of traffic are. Um, we increased our sanitization. So where maybe we're in through the common areas once a week, we're now in through three or four times a week as much as possible. Uh, we went 100% virtual on, on leasing. So we got, a, we got our leasing agents out into the units. Uh, we did video walkthroughs. So in you have kind of these virtual walkthroughs that are like 3d and, and you can kind of walk through them, but we actually put a person in the video and walk through and talk about the unit and the area. Um, and then, so, you know, lots of changes and, and, uh, like I said, happy to make all that, uh, available. Yeah. Those seem like going to virtual is really what everything's going now, not just for rentals, but for anything um, sales and for um, any kind of any part of the whole rental sales process. The um, the other thing too, is like we were saying about the cleaning. That's something that we've implemented too, going through elevators mainly and all these different gates doors twice a day. Um, They're Mm -hmm. going through and just doing that. And then I'm obviously more thorough weekly cleanings are now coming to be daily almost now. So um, yeah, I mean, it's something that has to be done to keep, like you said, the residents and the staff safe. But, mm-hmm. um, so what do you think are some of the main factors that contribute to your success as a real estate investor? Oh man, it's, <laughs> I always struggle with self-reflection sometimes, you know, like people say, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? I'm like, oh man, I don't know. But I, I would say in all reality, I think every time I'm faced with a challenge, um, I, 
I stay persistent. And so uh, don't back down easily. Um, when, when there's problems, stay solution focused uh, rather than, rather than getting kind of wound up in the actual problem and, and what's wrong and what the issue is kind of definitely understand what's going on, but really you should be thinking what the solution is. Uh, so uh, I think that's really helped, especially owning properties and, and, and doing raises and, and everything across the board, always, always staying solution based on the thinking. Um, and then just across the board, I've always been pretty fanatic about figuring out ways to automate uh, and leverage technology to, to create systems that, um, that if we could take, if we could take and spend five hours instead of 20 hours on the same thing. So like literally anytime I do something more than once, that's a trigger. That should be a trigger. Should I be doing this the same way? Uh, right. And so uh, I think that's important to always contemplate how, how do I, are these things that I keep doing, I keep coming onto my plate. How do I make them better? How do I save time? How do I automate potentially? Yeah, that's uh, definitely the mindset you want to have when you're, when you're scaling a business. Um, what kind of mistakes do you see new investors make when you speak to them? So I, I think I can relate to this. So as a new investor back in 2009, um, and I, I think as I talk to new investors, and uh, I think people potentially don't get other experienced operators or investors involved as much as they should. So uh, to give you an example, if for those first couple of fix and flips, if I had identified someone who was doing fix and flips uh, and actively, and instead of just going out and purchasing these two deals by myself and just kind of owning it and doing it, if I had instead figured out a way that maybe I could bring the deal to this individual and maybe I could put some money in the deal. Maybe there's something I else I could do help with the construction manager, but basically just leverage people who are doing what you want to do and who are successful at doing what you want to do to, to offset your risk of doing it. And so if it means making less money on your first few deals, who cares? Because you'll learn an exponential amount more. You'll offset your risk of making mistakes. And so I think, you know, that that's really powerful. Yeah, that's great. You know, harnessing the power of the experience of other people so that um, it brings you along and it's not only making money on what you're bringing and what you're doing, but also you're learning it from literally from the inside and you have that kind of downside uh, risk stop because you're working with someone that's already done what we're trying to do in this, you know, situation. So that's, that's a great, I haven't heard that before. That's an awesome, that's an awesome um, fact. Um, so how can people learn more about you, Jacob, and your business? So uh, both of my businesses are online, uh, holdfolio.com, syndicationpro.com. And if anyone wants to get in touch with me, you can email me directly. So on those sites, my emails are mm -hmm. on them, but jacob at holdfolio.com or okay. at syndicationpro.com. Just reach out personally. I'm more than happy to, uh, you know, take those inquiries. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I'll put all those links in the show notes. And I want to thank you for being on the show and looking forward to connecting with you in the near future. Thanks a lot, Charles.
Thanks, Jacob. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.